So thankful for the Sunday morning that's now before us. Thankful that we could be back today. Appreciate again, as I've said before, your kind wishes, prayers, and thoughts. And for many who came in attendance to be at that meeting at West Sparta during this past week, uh, Denise Brooklyn and I are very thankful for your support and encouragement. And of course, the brethren there were also very delighted to, to also have your encouragement and support for that meeting. At this point, of course, you and I have on our radar our upcoming gospel meeting. Two weeks isn't very long. Two weeks from today, 14 days merely, Brother Paul Sane will be with us. As you've already heard us say, he is really the director, the founder, as I understand it, of the Sane Publishing Company. Many, many Bible materials his company produces and makes available to the public. And he's going to be with, here, with us here for holding our gospel meeting this year. Uh, certainly keep in mind, if you would clear your calendars, let me encourage you to do that. Monday through Wednesday will be at 7 p.m. On the Sunday services, our regular morning services, of course, but we'll have an afternoon service, as, as, uh, as at least it has happened in the past. That's still the way it's planned. So we'll have a, a Sunday meal right after the morning service, a fellowship back here in the back, and then right after that, we'll have the, the second service that, that day and then not meet at the regular 5.30 hour that night. Please be praying for that meeting. You and I know that power is prayer, that prayer is powerful. And so as we, of course, look forward to that meeting, making sure that we do our part to make that a successful meeting to glorify the cause of God. The title I've given to the lesson today is one word, addictions. Certainly that's a word not at all unknown to you and me. We're familiar with it. We frequently hear about those who in one way or another are afflicted with addictions. The opening slide will be one that merely is an introductory one, pointing out again what we all know very well. There are many things that might be the object of a person's addictions. There are those who are addicted to gambling. There are those in our world who are addicted to alcohol. There are those who are addicted to pornography. There are those who are addicted in one way or another to, technolo to technology. That list could just go on and on. Our discussion today will center around the appreciation of the nature of these things and what the Word of God reminds all of us. Because I would suggest to you that Satan uses these things as a powerful tool in his arsenal. If he can bring a person to be addicted to something, then he has the opportunity to allow that something to be more important than Jesus, to be more important than God, to be more important than heaven to be more important than the Bible. And so as you and I close that slide, it prepares us for the next one. Let's devote this one to a consideration of addiction in general. Let's define it first. The word addict, A-D-D-I-C-T, is you just consider the definition of it. It literally suggests this. That individual who is devoted to, who in fact is compulsively directed towards something, in terms of a habit, even if this thing is hurtful, harmful, and detrimental. Now again, notice that here's an activity which I appreciate is not in my best interest. It is not something that's healthy, and yet I continue to do it. Well, may I say, I'm addicted to this. 
It's something worthy of our consideration to be sure. And so it is on that next slide. Let's be very upfront using the Bible as our guide. Addiction is wrong. No doubt about that. That was the lesson text of a few moments ago. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse number 12, latter part of that verse, Paul made this statement, I will not be brought under the power of any. Paul pointed out on that occasion, he was discussing about these considerations of food offered to idols, admittedly. But he broadened the appreciation to state this, I will not allow myself to be brought under the power of anything be it food, elements, other circumstances or considerations, I won't. And later on, in chapter 10, verse 23, at least similar language is utilized yet again. I'm reminded about the Lord's famous statement in Matthew chapter 6. What about you? Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. That's about as straightforward and plain as the Lord could have put it. You cannot serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And if you and I are addicted to something, then that something is occupying a place in our heart that Jesus wants, and He deserves it. He died for us, He loves us, and He wants us to fill that void with what's godly and righteous and true, not this thing that's an addiction. For those reasons, I guess, you'll notice what follows. The Bible encourages us on many occasions to be individuals of self-control. We are admonished to have a sufficient amount of control of ourselves that we are able to keep this activity, whatever it be, in its proper place in our life. Now, we certainly can realize there are many things in life that in and of themselves are not wrong. But if I become addicted to it, it becomes wrong for me. I become overwhelmed to the point where I devote this as a central feature to my life. Amazingly enough, look at some of these verses. In Acts 24, 25, Paul, as he stood before the Roman officials, he preached of righteousness, temperance, and the judgment to come. The word temperance means self-control. Now, the Roman people, they were accustomed, especially those that could afford the various luxuries, devoting themselves to whatever they wanted to. Paul said, you can't do that and please God. You've got to have sufficient control of the appetites of the flesh. Look at this next one in, in, in Galatians 5.23. Among those attributes that we often call those wonderful, wonderful fruits of the Spirit. Nine of them are listed. Did you note what the ninth one is, the last one in the list? Temperance. He says, against this there is no law. God looks with favor upon, of course, individuals who restrain our appetites and control ourselves to the point where we aren't addicted to these things. Maybe finally, could I invite you to recall 2 Peter 1.6? There, as Peter listed what we often call the Christian graces, the list begins like this. Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance. That word temperance again literally means self-control. 
there's a tendency in our world, and of course the devil would encourage it, to be unrestrained. The message in the mind of many is do what you want, do whatever feels good, and if it happens to offend somebody else, well, too bad. Now may I say as Christians, we've got to do a better job at not only understanding self-control, but encouraging it in those who, of course, we happen to, to make acquaintance with. This idea of self-control allows us to look at a few examples. How about our Savior? Hebrews 5, verses 8 and 9. Wasn't it true in that passage that this statement about Jesus is made? Though He were a son, yet learned He obedience by the things which He suffered. Did you notice? The Lord learned obedience. He learned the characteristic means of what it means to do what one is told. He learned the issues about self-control. He learned these things. Not only that, you and I might add this. His life, as well as those of those first century saints, in so many ways points to you and me the fact Romans 13, 14 says it like this. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. May I ask, what are you and I making provision for? If I'm addicted to something, am I not making provision for whatever fleshly matter that involves? Paul said, make not provision for the flesh. The devil is going to make sure that you and I are surrounded by those things that tempt you and me. And quite frankly, we all may be different. He knows what your weaknesses are, and they may not be the same as mine, but he knows mine too. And he will ensure by way of acquaintances, the matters of life, that we come face to face with all of that because he wants us to succumb to it, to give in to it, to fall to it, and to do whatever that encouragement is. He wants us to be addicted to the things of this world. Let's close this slide then with the likeness that Paul made in 1 Corinthians 9. I particularly like the thought of this one because I think we can each imagine it so well. Would you picture an athlete for a moment? You and I know well that our society has many examples of these athletes who devote themselves to a successful life in whatever particular athletic event they're discussing. Some are football players and basketball players. Others are track and field stars. Those individuals, to rise to that level, they've got to carefully watch what they eat and take care of exercise. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 9. Those who would in fact arrive at that mastery must be temperate in all things. Let's face it, you're never going to be a powerful football star because there's enough competition out there from other individuals who will be, and you've got to train as hard as him. You've got to watch your diet like he does, and you're going to have to learn to lift weights like him. You've got to be temperate in all things. All of that said, let's look at some specific examples. What are some things then that the devil brings before us by way of these addictions. I started the list with this one. It probably is one of the more common ones. It's troubling to think, though, of how often it seems to appear. Drug abuse. 
Now, would you please keep in mind, as we almost on many times a day hear about individuals overwhelmed with this, those who, in fact, even prescription drugs, they get addicted to it. It can be a dangerous thing. Folks have lost their lives because of only what we would call prescription-related drugs. Paul again said, I will not be brought under the power of any. When you and I think about drugs, why don't we begin it like this? Alcohol is still, although we don't hear a lot about it, categorized with the others, it's still the most common drug addiction. Those who drink socially, those who are overwhelmed with this attribute and appetite of life, there is no doubt the way the Bible views this. I know there are many who soften it and attempt to remove it from consideration, but it just won't work scripturally. To that, could we not add this? Two verses that at least we'll use to begin. In the Old Testament, we're told wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And so as Solomon penned those ancient words, he pointed out in strength and in vitality that those who in fact succumb to this, they're not wise. They have fallen prey to a mocker. They have fallen prey to a brawler. It's a foolish thing to do. In the New Testament, in Ephesians 5.18, we read, Be not drunk with wine. And that phrase in the original Greek identifies to begin to be softened. It has to do with a process from the first drop one takes into the last. Don't give in to any of it. Now, you know as well as I, multiplied billions of dollars are spent annually by the companies that, of course, produce alcoholic beverages encouraging us only to do it responsibly. There is no responsible way to drink. For the very moment you take in any of it, you impair your judgment, and the very thing they're encouraging you can no longer do. It's a sin first drop till last. And when you and I fail to appreciate that, we have at least put ourselves in a position to be the victim of more extensive usage. No wonder you'll look at some of these additional verses. May I suggest to you there's really another presentation in the New Testament that's just as strong as this one. It involves the five-letter word sober. Are you and I aware of the fact that God commands, not suggests, but commands that we be sober? Well, that's fine. You and I ask, what does it mean? I know that today we use the word sober just to mean the person isn't totally inebriated. He may have drunk a little, but at least, at least we most would say he's still sober. That's not what the original word meant. The original word means to abstain from wine. You can't drink even little and claim to be sober by that definition. And yet we are commanded on at least three different occasions in Thessalonians and Timothy, be sober. So may all of us remember that although the devil would encourage this alcoholic beverage, you and I know better than that. Isn't it also true that maybe one of the strongest texts has yet to be mentioned in 1 Timothy 4, or rather 1 Peter 4, could I invite you to notice as I read this, 
For the time past, this is beginning in verse 3, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Now if we pause there, Peter's making a point. To these individuals, he says, you remember way back when, when this is the kind of life that our Gentile friends lived, and maybe even we did too. But he says, that's in the past. We don't do this anymore. Well, Peter, what are they doing? Lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine. Now that phrase means exactly what you think it does. It means to drink a lot, excess of wine. But the next two elements of the list are much more unusual to you and me, at least by way of wording. Revelings and banquetings. I would suggest you and I never use those words in common English anymore. What does revelings mean? I've defined it for you. The original word identified this. Feasts and drinking parties that typically went late into the evening and may there often appeared to have been carousing and other things. Well, there's one more to go. The word banquetings. This one is the most intriguing in many ways. Did you note the definition? It means drinking. That's it. Has nothing whatsoever to say about the amount. Drinking is wrong. And he wasn't talking about water. And he wasn't talking about milk. And he wasn't talking about lemonade. The kind of thing involved here was alcoholic beverage. And Peter wrote, this is what we used to do, those that were the Gentiles, but we don't do them anymore. You and I as wise Christians must realize our influence is mighty and we can't be addicted to alcohol. As we go further on that slide, perhaps we can broaden this and notice as we started it with drugs, the New Testament condemns again these things. Could I invite you to think about the word pharmacy? Well, you and I know that's the place we go to get prescription drugs. We, our doctor prescribes it, we go to the pharmacist to get it. That original word is the same one who, that has, I should say, a derivative in the New Testament. It relates to sorcery. And the book of Revelation says you can't go to heaven that way. So again, any kind of drug-related things that would remove from our mind judgment and the characteristic fineness of it, we're erring. May you and I always be on guard and not allow ourselves to be brought under the power of any. But not only this one, what about another thing that's becoming a rather significant problem, at least if, if studies are any indication? Recent surveys that I have read point to this, pornography, as a serious, serious problem. Now, I know it's one that's typically hidden if it occurs, at least in anybody you and I know. No one's going to come to you and me and admit, I'm addicted to pornography. But yet, think about all the secret ways in which it can be viewed. You go into the darkness of your own bedroom, turn on your computer, and all of it you want to see can be found. Or you open up your cell phone, and almost all of us have one. And you can view all the pornography you want secretly. Studies, as we're about to see from a statistical standpoint, highlight this is getting to be very, very serious. 
In fact, I'm going to go ahead and jump to those statistics next. One particular site that listed these, and I take it that they have the data to back it up, but the claim that's made is this. 42.7% of Internet users view pornography. That's not far from half. Not only that, every single second of every day, listen to me, every single second of every day, $3,075 is spent in online pornography. 28,258 viewers every second of pornography. Every second, things like Google and otherwise record 342 searches for adult online things. Now, I'm not saying there's anybody guilty of that here, but what I would say is we live in a world that is becoming rampant in addiction to pornography. We've got to be on guard. Not only we as adults, but think about the next generation. We hand this youngster a phone, and we trust that he or she's always going to use it properly. And in two clicks, you can be at one of these sites seeing things that you ought never see. It's a sad, it's a sad occurring thing. We've got to be on guard to watch where we're allowing our mind to go. Look at some of these verses. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew 5, 28, speaking clear to the gentleman now, admittedly, if you look on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. Now, again, our world that is seemingly in many ways given to this, obviously men aren't thinking too much of a verse like that when they're thriving in. They're allowing their mind to be corrupted as they spend moment after moment looking at this other woman, at this individual who is doing rather um, erotic things. But to say all of that is to say that in Galatians 5.19, the inspired apostle gave a listing of things that will send a person to hell. The first four elements of that list include this. In fact, an interesting lesson. The original Greek word pornea is the word that's translated fornication. You can obviously see where the word pornography comes from. It comes from the Greek word pornea. Illicit sexual things. We've got to be cautious and careful, mindful of making sure our mind stays in a wholesome, good place. As you and I come to the bottom of that slide, may I suggest we've got to be committed to purity, and that includes sexual purity. Not only ourselves, but instilling it in our youngsters. You abstain from sexuality, and that includes the kind of gooder activities like this. One study that I looked at suggested that the first time at which a youngster views pornography, age 11. Did you hear that? Age 11. Talk about reaching in and taking the innocence out of a young boy or girl. To let them be looking at things like this at age 11. Again, may I say, 
the devil is having a heyday as he encourages not only that which relates, relates to this, but you could imagine if a young child begins to perceive a thrill in this, it might not be long before you'd be addicted to it. One other source that I noticed, there are now addiction help sites for this. We've all heard of Alcoholics Anonymous where you can go to a group and find another group of people to help you deal with addiction to this. There are groups now that are pornographic help sites. In other words, if you're addicted to it, come here and meet with people addicted like you are. And you could at least find help. Doesn't that indicate it's becoming a serious, serious problem? As we close the slide... Aren't you reminded of those two words that Paul encouraged the Corinthians? Flee fornication. You can't stay around with this. It has a way of working its way into the corruption of your mind and it'll eat away at you. You just got to get away from it. David, perhaps, is a great example. In the Old Testament, you remember how that worked. He ought to have been away at war, but he wasn't. And he saw a woman at a distance bathing herself. And you know, at that moment, he had some decisions to make. I can turn away and not look at her. I can start turning my mind towards something else. Or I could sit here and watch. Well, he chose the latter apparently and even did more than that. He went and had her brought to him. He allowed his mind to go in the direction it ought never have been. And we remember what happened. She became pregnant by him. And ultimately, David committed murder. He committed drunkenness. A lot of things he did. And in fact, later, Nathan told him, The sword will never depart from your house for what you've done. I'd submit to all of us in my hearing this morning, if we start moving in a direction, playing around with things like this, it'll eat away at us and it'll get a lot worse. We can't get addicted to that. Let's add one more to our list and our lesson will close. For you see, there is something to be noted about the world in which we live. We all have access to such tremendous technology. Our generation is one that's rather fantastic in that we now have a phone we can carry around with us. And not only that, we can access the internet for the most part, nearly anywhere we are. That's amazing. Think about the sheer amount of information available on the Internet. To be sure, this can be used in a way that's great. You know, we can get directions. When Denise and I are traveling, sometimes we use that GPS facility to help us make sure we get somewhere. You can also look up health-related things and all. That's wonderful. But you know, there is a possibility I could get addicted to this technology, like my computer or my cell phone. I wonder if that could be a problem. Well, let's at least talk about that in this way. As I did research for this lesson, there's a fair amount of evidence that indicates that this too not only can be, but has already become a rather serious problem. 50% of teenagers admit to being addicted to their cell phone. They admit to it. 25% of adults confess they're addic addicted to their cell phone. For others, maybe it's our laptop computers. Maybe it's our tablets or whatever the case may be. At the very least, it is something to consider. 
You'll notice about the middle of that slide, it does lead us to at least ponder. Am I addicted to my technology? That is to say, am I using it in a way that it has gone beyond merely being a nice tool or facet for my life, but rather it's become where I'm using it far more than I need to, far more than I should? Is it adversely affecting my relationship with other people, like my wife or my husband? Is it a matter that's leading to issues or problems in my relationships with other people? Among those studies which I saw, now it focused, quite frankly, on teenagers, but it at least made this observation. It is now clearly the case in the, in the life of some teenagers they are losing the capability of communication with other people. All they've ever done is text or Snapchat. They can't carry on a face-to-face -face conversation in at least an effective way anymore. They don't know how to read clues of facial expression on other people. Isn't it true? You and I frequently do that. We talk to somebody and as a part of the conversation we say, I had to walk on eggshells. Well, we know what that means because we have understood the facial expression, the body reactions. If all that a person's ever done is seeing texts and look at that, you lose that capability of reading the facial expressions of others. At least in the study, teachers and college professors and others are noting that that skill seems to be lacking in at least many in, in the present generation of young I would say maybe that's a symptom of, again, that 50% that recognized an element in addiction. I suppose as we've discussed all of these things today, it at least brings us almost full circle. Paul said, I will not be brought under the power of any. Now the list, at least in terms of addiction, could go many times over. There are those addicted to money. There are those who are addicted to food. There are those who are addicted to many elements in life. I don't know what those may be tempting for you, and you don't know what they may be for me. But this much we do know. We mustn't let anything stand between us and God. We mustn't let anything stand between us and a home in heaven. If there's anything in that position between you and your God this morning, may I say you've turned it into an idol. You have become an idolater. And the same is true of me. Where do you and I stand? As we close the lesson again, I will not be brought under the power of any. May we think with care about the things in our life and make sure that we use them wholesomely, properly. In Philippians 4.8, it reads like this. Think on things that are true and honest and pure and just and lovely and of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Are you and I thinking then on those things that are most notable and wholesome and good? Or are we allowing ourselves to be brought under the power of a thing, whatever that thing is, if it's the latter, I hope that today you will be motivated by the invitation of Jesus Christ. He wants to remove you from that addiction. He wants to, in fact, bring you to a point where you are directed toward Him. 
He says, if you'll come follow me, I'll take you to heaven. But he does leave us the choice in that we can choose to follow him or we can choose to follow something or someone else. Today, the plan of salvation reads as it has now for 2,000 years. Not really anything new there. You've got to believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess His name and be baptized. And we'd be delighted to encourage and assist you if we might. If you have become a Christian, and maybe there's a time in the distant recesses of your memory that you recall the kind of life that you lived and you remember how great it was. And you know that what you now have is not what it once was. Maybe you've allowed the devil to bring you to where there's a corruption in your life. Something that maybe after today's lesson you might choose to label as an addiction. To something, any sin, no matter what it is. Don't you realize that's going to send you to hell that way? It's standing between you and God. Jesus wants to forgive it. But you've got to repent of it and confess it. And if you'll do that, He'll wipe the slate clean, make you wholesome and, and pure before Him. And we'd be delighted to pray to God on your behalf. Today, if we can help you, why not let us do it at once while together we stand and while we sing.